From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. That's part of what the fear is with people is, you know, is this just going to be a one or two week thing or is this a three to four month thing? And it's a little early to answer that. That's Peter Valenzuela on the patient and public reaction to COVID-19. With much of the nation's and world's attention shifting to this crisis, the Insights team is following suit. Our special series continues this week with perspective from a large health system. But first, a word from our sponsors. Over the past several years, Biome has partnered with some of the country's leading cardiovascular teams to power their continuous learning and drive high-quality healthcare delivery. This partnership allows Biome to share new data and insights on performance and develop new intelligence, all in a matter of weeks. Visit biome.io solutions to learn about how the Biome solution, powered by artificial and augmented intelligence, can improve your cardiovascular service line's performance today. Could workflow inefficiencies be preventing you from providing better care? Midmark is focused on developing solutions that help you uncover these inefficiencies, optimize workflow, and improve the patient experience. The Midmark Real-Time Locating System, or RTLS, can reduce wait times by moving patients efficiently through their visits increase patient throughput by utilizing space effectively, and automatically collect data to give you additional insights on further workflow improvements. Contact Midmark today to see how they're transforming the way healthcare is delivered. For more information, visit midmarkrtls.com. Healthcare communication is broken, and SR Health by Solution Reach gives you the most practical solutions to fix it. Stay connected to patients throughout their care journey, improve outcomes, and increase operational efficiency. From diagnosis-based education to appointment-related communications, you need flexibility, reliability, and total control to create the best patient and provider experience. Find out how you can get just that with SR Health at srhealth.com. New details about COVID-19 are emerging each day, which explains why some statistics cited in this Friday, March 13th interview have already changed. Since then, a national emergency has been declared, and like so many across the country, the Insights team is now practicing social distancing and isolation by recording from home. Joining us again is Peter Valenzuela, Chief Medical Officer for Sutter Medical Group of the Redwoods. He and his organization have dealt with two major wildfires in the last three years and are now confronting new challenges brought on by the global spread of COVID-19. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Now, it it seems like every day we're getting new revelations with COVID-19. It has really ramped up with closings. uh, You know, we have sports seasons ending. We have all kinds of public events um, canceling. So you're in Sonoma County. Give us an idea of what's happening locally there. Sure, sure, sure. Well, obviously there's a lot of alarm in the community here. We actually have had three confirmed cases of uh, uh, COVID-19 locally. Um, all three were members of the cruise ship that you hear about in the 
on the television a lot. Uh, we have not had any public uh, uh, COVID cases yet. Um, so we're hoping to keep it that way, but there's a lot of alarm in the community and, and obviously this has impacted uh, the services we provide as well as uh, being in the wine country. This has really had a big impact on our service industry here with uh, uh, the number of people uh, coming to tour has gone down dramatically. Yeah. Now, you're also the chief medical officer of Sutter Medical Group of the Redwoods. It's one of the largest employers in Sonoma County in that wine country. Uh, give our listeners an idea of the size and scope of that health system. Sure, sure. So uh, here in uh, Sonoma County, we have about 125 multi-specialty physicians and clinicians. We're supported by about 450 staff members. We are affiliated with Sutter Health um, System, which is comprised of about 5,000 physicians and clinicians with over 50,000 employees. Um, we're one of the largest uh, organizations in Northern California. In fact, uh, on a national level, one out of 100 Americans is cared for at a Sutter facility. Wow. Okay. Now, you and I were talking offline that um, it seems like you we're always talking when uh, it's an emergency. You had a terrible fire situation back in the fall. Um, now we've got yeah. COVID-19. Um, we're going to have to have you on the show when it's not an emergency situation. But, um, you know, it's just very unfortunate. But you are someone who is experienced in emergency preparedness due to those fires. Uh, talk us through that. What is the plan and protocol for Sutter, um, you know, for any emergency? And then give us an idea of how those things change uh, or have been changing with COVID-19. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, obviously it's, you know, the last few years has been really challenging for us out here. We did have the fires in 2017 and then back in 2019, and now we're dealing with this uh, COVID-19. You know, you and I were joking earlier that it seems like that there's going to be a crisis or something that's going to happen out here. <laughs> the, exactly. The good news is that we have, we have experience with this. We've dealt with these types of situations before. Um, what we did off the bat was set up our incident command team that's comprised of physician leaders and operational leaders. Um, Sutter Health is such a large organization. There is a Sutter Health emergency management team, um, which is um, high-level leadership at the system level. Um, more locally, we have a Bay Area um, incident command team, and then even uh, lower than that, here locally in Sonoma County, we have our own incident command team. And what we do each day is we we actually have calls every morning at 7 a.m. Um, with the local team, and it includes our managers and our physician leaders, and we talk about whether there's any new cases, uh, whether we have any uh, PPE equipment or use that we've had, and then whether there's anybody out on furloughs or out on leave secondary to this uh, um, COVID-19 situation. Uh, I think it's keeping everybody on the same uh, level as far as what we're doing and what our plans are. Uh, we also have Bay Area leadership team meetings at 5 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday to look at it at more in the San Francisco and Northern California area to see how it's been impacted as well. Yeah, so you're having those daily meetings at 7, uh, then three times a week at 5 p.m. What are those check-ins like? Let's go to those 7 a.m. meetings. What are you, uh, what's the information that you're getting out there and what do you want to communicate to the team at that time? Sure. 
So uh, during those encounters in the mornings, uh, the incident command meetings that we have locally, we are uh, relaying to our team uh, the number of testing kits that we have available because those are also um, pretty restricted uh, due to the shortages nationally. We also uh, get to hear from them whether they used any of their PPE equipment, whether they had any PUIs or persons under investigation, and whether they have any staff or physicians who've been furloughed or on leave secondary to COVID-19. We also kind of let them know what is going on at the Bay Area level as far as any other uh, number of cases that have been confirmed, as well as uh, what our next steps are for the phased approach on how we're handling this locally. Yeah, you talked about shortages. So is that part of the plan then you're 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 recognizing what's available staff wise what's available equipment wise because we're hearing from a lot of the healthcare community and they're having just dramatic shortages in that equipment that they need gloves gowns uh mask anything that they need to be able to you know remain safe while they're treating patients so what are you seeing there at sutter Sure. So, you know, one of the positives for us from the fires a few years ago and last year is that we did have lots of N95 masks um, from those events uh, that we've been able to utilize here. Uh, We've actually been really good about uh, being efficient with our equipment because we set up an actual COVID clinic where we screen out patients who answer uh, positively to the screening questions and you know, obviously those screening questions are um, whether or not uh, uh, they've been uh, in close contact with a COVID-19 patient in the last 14 days, or including the Grand Princess cruise ship, whether they're symptomatic and they've traveled to China, Iran, Italy, Japan, or South Korea. And, and those are kind of the first two questions we ask. If they answer positively to those, we redirect them to a separate clinic that we have where we do nothing but COVID-19 screening. And what that has done is that has kind of helped shift those patients from our main care center sites to one area where we can control the use of the testing kits as well as the PPE. So what is the scope of that clinic then? How many people are staffed there? And what are the protocols put in place so the infection doesn't spread? Sure. So we actually have done uh, donning and doffing training for people with PPE on how they, they can protect themselves, including protective uh, uh, glasses and masks and gowns, um, also with how to properly bag the test. Um, so once you do those uh, nasal pharyngeals, you put them in one bag and then you actually will end up triple bagging it. Uh, the good news for us is that we have an, uh, an extraordinary infectious disease physician that's part of our medical group that has been helping to um, lead the charge and inform us and this has been probably one of the best assets that we've had. We, we recruited him. It's funny. We, we recruited him last year, so he's relatively new to our group, but he's got so much experience. And I just want to acknowledge him. His name's Dr. Gary Green. He's been pretty much at the helm of educating our staff members at this COVID clinic, as well as doing the testing. I think we've done probably over 15 to 20 plus uh, COVID testings. You know, one of the other things that we're doing is we're actually doing this via car testing. So the patient doesn't actually leave their vehicle. This does, this way it doesn't expose our care centers or that one clinic to uh, the COVID-19. Because according to protocols, if you do have a patient 
or that you're screening for COVID-19, you cannot use that exam room for at least an hour. So that's something else that we're doing is these are actual mobile visits, testing done through the car with people and PPE. Okay. That's interesting that you have Dr. Green on staff. He's an expert in this field. What's something that you've learned from him? Because obviously with the fires, you have the emergency preparedness plan in place, but this is a this is a different thing here. So what has he been able to educate you on so you can then bring that to the rest of the team? I think the biggest thing he's been able to do for us is, is put this in perspective. I mean, we're talking about COVID-19, which has about 125,000 confirmed cases worldwide with 4,600 deaths worldwide. When you compare that to influenza, in the United States alone, we have 30 million cases of flu in the U.S., and we have 20,000 deaths of the flu this year alone. I think last year we had 80,000 deaths. And so <clears throat> I'm not trying to minimize COVID-19 because it is a novel virus and it does have people alarmed, but there are a lot of other viruses and other illnesses going on right now that we're not, we're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. The good news is that the way that you take care of COVID-19 with, you know, proper hand washing and staying away from sick contacts and staying home if you're ill is kind of the same way that we would treat the flu. So at least we're getting that education out there that although you may not be trying to avoid um, the influenza, you will end up doing that indirectly by trying to follow the COVID guidelines. Right. That's interesting that you compare it to, you know, in comparison to the flu, what the numbers are and what we need to know about. So why is there the particular fear factor here and why is there there's flat out panic? I mean, people are anyone who's been to a grocery store, see bare shelves. So why are we panicking with this strand versus the seasonal flu? Sure. I mean, that's a great question. I, I'm asking myself that a lot, too. My <laughs> wife's always texting me <laughs> updates on, you know, more school closures and businesses. And, you know, I think part of it is the fact that it's a novel strain, which is, means we don't know a lot about of it. And, and the other part of it is it comes from China, which is not something that we know not enough of in the United States. We've been dealing with influenza for years and years. Now we're dealing with a new virus that's coming from another country. And I think that actually incites a lot of fear in people. Mm-hmm. Now, we've all seen this news just changing moment by moment here. I know that Dr. Green has been essential in helping inform and educate, but where else are you getting information? Where are you going just to make sure that you're not getting misinformation? Yeah, I think the CDC's got a great website at cdc.gov. You can actually go to cdc.gov slash COVID and find a lot of information up to date for both uh, patients as well as for uh, providers and caregivers on uh, what's the statistical incidence of it and and what, if anything, has changed. I mean, we've actually been following their guidelines uh, recently around use of equipment, and we're starting to see that they're loosening the restrictions. So now with the N95s, it used to be that you could use the mask once and, and be done with it. Now they have extended use and limited reuse of N95s. They're doing the same thing with guidance on use of expired N95s in, in, in certain cases and using uh, disinfection and reuse of disposable PPE. So I think CDC is understanding that due to the shortage of equipment and reagents and other testing things out there, they're, they're helping guide how we can use it again in a safe way to prevent in, infection. 
Okay. You mentioned earlier uh, school closings. We, we're reading about those day to day to day here. And so how are you making staffing adjustments to make sure you have the staff in place to reach those patients, be able to serve them? Sure. That's a great question. I think that's probably the toughest question that most organiz- organizations are going to deal with, which is, you know, when, when schools close, most of our um, staff don't have, you know, uh, caregivers or others to take care of their children. And so what we've been doing is we have, we've started to prioritize our clinics to say, if, if, if our schools close, which they haven't yet, our, our, our public schools have not yet, the junior college has closed. Uh, but the public schools will be on spring break next week and we're being told preliminarily that it's likely that they will extend that break for a few more weeks after spring break so what we've been doing locally is uh, our leadership team has been evaluating which care centers need to stay open which care centers are not as urgent where we can shift those staff to the more um, immediate need care centers so obviously our primary care clinics and sites would be open Um, we would have to prioritize and triage out the other care centers and we're looking definitely at keeping our pulmonary clinic open, our oncology clinic open, our OBGYN clinic open, our rheumatology clinic open, and then we're also doing the second tier of what other clinics we should prioritize. So we can shift those staff from other care centers and make sure that they're available for those uh, high need clinics and care centers. Mm-hmm. This was part of the experience that we learned from the fires as well. So, you know, coming from Texas, I'd had, I hate to use this you know, the pun, but this ain't our first rodeo. So right, we've, right. we've got some experience with this. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's very helpful in times like this. I wanted to go back to uh, the cruise ship cases that you mentioned. So you have three cases, verified cases from that cruise ship. Where are they now? Are they quarantined at home? Are they being cared for in hospital situations? What Do you know what their uh, situations are? And what your protocols were yeah, with them? Yeah, um, they, they were all found. They were they were um, uh, transferred to us from the cruise ship, and they actually were in the hospital setting and currently are in the hospital setting. Oh, okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure what that protocol was. And then how are they are they kept away from the, the regular population in the hospital? Is there a certain, a certain uh, section yeah, set up yes, for them? Uh, definitely. They have to have the isolation um room and it's got this uh, uh okay kind of reverse air type room so that you don't have any of the the aerosol the droplets aerosolized to others right right we were talking about earlier the uh the equipment shortages that you're having um testing kits that's been in the news quite a bit as well the shortages there so what role does advocacy play are you also speaking with local and state and federal officials to make sure you get the needed equipment to serve patients? What's going on there? Yeah, at this point, we have not done a lot of local advocacy for it. We've been trying to coordinate our efforts through the Center Health System. I know that there are conversations being had at large higher tables um, around uh, testing, and I think that's probably what's also loosened some of the requirements around um, reuse of, of of masks as well as PPE. As far as testing kits, there are some commercial products that are starting to come out that we think will be able to help expedite the testing instead of just being done solely through uh, the Department of Public Health. And so I think those are are actually being resolved through um, some of the uh, 
private labs that are able to help uh, help us test patients faster. Right. And we've been talking about issues from the staffing side, the equipment side. Let's talk about patients. Um, what has that been like? What has been your communication strategy with your patients so far? Sure. Well, you know, a lot of our patients are set up through My Health Online and our emergency and our uh, um, electronic medical record system, and so we've been messaging them directly to let them know that uh, we are being very proactive with trying to prevent. Uh, spread of COVID infection through messages to them. We're also giving them the same advice that we are, we would do like with the flu around um, hand washing and staying away from sick people and staying home if you're sick. Um, so that's been something else we've had. Uh, we, we are still getting questions from patients, of course, because there's a lot of concern around should I get tested? Um, so we've been fielding a lot of calls related to that. Uh, we've dedicated a uh, uh, nurse triage line to help patients answer those questions and to let them know whether they're at high risk or not. Yeah, that was the next question I was going to ask. What has been the increase in calls, in walk-ins, in communication through your website, other areas like that? What's that, what's that increase been? Yeah, uh, I wish I could give you a, a number, but it's, it's definitely been a lot higher than we've had in years. Um, and, and I think part of the challenge with this is, you know, uh, one of the things that we talked about the fires previously, I, I think that the benefit with the fires for us was that we knew that eventually it was going to come to an end and then we would be able to start up again. And, and we were able to plan around the, um, the fire containment um, with the COVID virus. It's different because it's so novel and we don't know, you know, when we're going to reach a peak and, and when it's going to come down. So that's part of what the fear is with people is, you know, is this just going to be a one or two week thing or is this a three to four month thing? And it's a little early to answer that. Mm -hmm. Telehealth, telemedicine can play a key role here in keeping those well patients well and, and answer questions for the people who may be sick. So what is your telehealth policy for this? Yeah, we've actually been pretty proactive with telehealth. Uh, we have, um, uh, walk-in clinics that are staffed by advanced practice clinicians, and they have been doing um, uh, virtual visits for, for some time now. So we have those video visits already set up for patients. As part of the next phase, we are uh, providing computers um, to our primary care clinics, and we're looking to designate one or two physicians at each care site to do nothing but video visits. And then the third phase of what we're planning on doing is establishing that for those uh, medical specialty clinics that we were kind of discussing earlier. So we're we're pretty strong advocates for video visits, uh, especially given these situations. And, and we've been fortunate to be kind of ahead of the curve of knowing the importance of it. So we've had them in place for a while now. Yeah. Education and calming fears is a, is a huge part of that when communicating with patients. Do you have an example already of where you, your staff has has met with a patient or communicated with them through telehealth uh, to help calm those fears, help educate them? Yeah, I think our APCs have actually been doing that with each of the video visits that they're doing. Um, uh, and that's really been helpful for our patients. It's, it's really trying to get them to understand how serious this can be or not serious, depending on your comorbidities. And Elaine that we've spent a lot of time really trying to educate our staff because the, the staff are so worried about being exposed to it that it's, it's starting to make them reconsider coming to work. And I'm sure a lot of organizations are dealing with this. 
And what we've been doing more on the local front is we have a texting base. It's a texting software that we use to message all of our um, physicians and, and leaders and let them know briefly, you know, what's going on that day. And what, and we also do as a second tiers, we attach a, a link to a video that includes our infectious disease specialist where he spends a couple of minutes just providing an update of COVID, what it is, where we are, if it's spread and what to look for. And I think that he's done such a great job of allaying that fear for our, for our leaders and our staff that it's really helped them to understand that we can take care of our patients in the proper way without fear of um, something more serious happening to ourselves or our families. Right. So you've got a plan in place. Uh, what are some final thoughts then you could share with our audience if they're, they're maybe struggling with it, or if they're trying to figure out the best practices they can take to keep their staff safe and be able to serve those patients? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I would say, you know, the, the biggest thing is keep this in perspective. And the other is to make sure that you continue to communicate with your people your staff people regularly because they're going to be depending on you to provide them updates. And if you don't have a proper chain of communication, it's really just going to continue to contribute to this uh, fear that's going on nationally or internationally, I should say. Well, Peter, thanks so much for joining us on short notice and providing these strategies and these plans for our audience. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Biome, Midmark, and SR Health by Solution Reach for sponsoring this week's show. Also, thanks to our guest, Peter Valenzuela. Keep an eye out for more in this series as we talk with other healthcare professionals guiding their practices through these difficult times. To keep up with the latest, be sure to visit mgma.com COVID. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.